Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Malvin. For those who don't know me, I'm a birth worker, a life coach, hypnotist, and a former liberal feminist turned radical truth teller. On this podcast, I expose the forces at play attempting to control our minds and bodies, such as transgender ideology, pornography, prostitution, and so much more. Together, we'll untangle patriarchal lies as you listen to jaw-dropping interviews with women from around the world. Warning, while listening to this podcast, you might find yourself triggered or perhaps notice where you've been biting your tongue on the issues that matter most to you. In my coaching and hypnosis, I help women and men stop getting triggered by every single thing, cultivate resilience, stop unwanted behaviors, and increase self-confidence. You can book your first session at whosebodyisit.com, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. And I just want to say that it's because of your endless support that I'm able to interview amazing women, get their stories out, and produce regular episodes for you. So with that being said, please like, comment, and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. And if you're listening in, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And also consider making a financial contribution via the link in my show notes. You can also visit my activist sticker shop. My pro-woman stickers have the power to intercept transhumanist programming. So take a photo of your stickers out in the wild and tag me on Instagram at Whose Body Is It? Without further ado, let's get into this week's story. Will the New York Times finally admit they know what a woman is? Today, I speak with Amanda Stolman, director of Keep Prison Single Sex USA. In response to the anti-woman organization GLAD's campaign and recent letter demanding the New York Times stick to the almighty pro-trans affirmation narrative, Amanda Stolman launched her own campaign with LED billboards with a series of slides, one of which read, quote, that's right, women's prisons are mixed sex. This is newsworthy, is it not? Amanda's billboards were stationed outside of the New York Times headquarters in New York City. In this episode, Amanda discusses the justice system's role in the legalization of medicalizing children and placing men in women's prisons, and what happens when the courts abandon all common sense in the name of trusting the experts. We also get into the challenges of advocating for women's sex-based rights with no institutional legacy support, and what amends could look like for the New York Times in the wake of years of gaslighting, underreporting crimes against women, and villainizing those who dare to speak out. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to give us the rundown on what the heck's been happening outside of the New York Times headquarters. Um, I know some people listening will know what we're talking about, but for those uh, who don't, would you mind just maybe first just talking about your organization and then we'll get into the current up to date, what's what's going on and what's been happening at the 
the controversy at the New York Times. Sure, happy to. Thank you for the opportunity. So I'm the USA Director for Keep Prison Single Sex, which is a UK-based organization which advocates for single-sex prisons, for um, same-sex searching, and for accuracy in criminal justice data. The USA chapter has uh, been around for a little over two years. And um, as part of what we do, we do a lot of research. We track data in different uh, justice, um, in different correctional systems, and we do frontline advocacy in to different states and jurisdictions who are establishing policies or trying to implement laws related to housing and tracking of data. So last week, there was some excitement with the New York Times that provided us an opportunity to do a public awareness campaign. What the New York Times has slowly, very tentatively over the last several months, started barely, barely gingerly dipping their toes into talking about issues about gender identity and anything other than the most supportive, glowing terms. And the bulk of their articles have been on the issue of childhood medicalization and quote unquote healthcare kinds of issues. And this has attracted um, the ire of uh, a number of trans rights activist groups, um, gender ideologues, and that culminated last Wednesday, February 15th, in a letter campaign. Uh, it appears to be a letter that was organized by GLAAD, um, and there were two letters actually. One was from contributors to the New York Times, approximately 180 individuals signed that, and then um, several hundred organizations and prominent individuals signed the other letter, which is on GLAAD's website, which they expressed their dismay at New York Times covering this issue in a way that they called, quote, anti-trans bias, um, but which is for everyone else looking at this just seems to be the slowest creep of reality um, coming into their reporting and their coverage. And the letter had three demands, um, which I think it's worth actually diving into a little bit because they're um, so outrageous. And starting with actually the, the third demand was that they hire four quote unquote trans writers. They wanted two on the opinion side and two on the reporting side. They very graciously gave the Times three months to meet their deadline. Oh they my also. Gosh. <laughs> that's the most like normal of their requests. Um, the, the second of their demands was um, a series of listening sessions, which you can just imagine uh, what sort of uh, Maoist re education <laughs> camp that would look like. And their demand was that that happened in two months, very generous. And then their, um, what was actually their first demand of all of these demands, which they insisted happen immediately, was that the New York Times stop printing, quote, anti-trans stories, unquote. And this is my favorite part of this. I have to read their precise language to so you really get the flavor, which is 
stop questioning best practice medical care. Stop questioning science that is settled, unquote. And settled is in all caps, which I guess means that we can ignore the scientific method, how all this is supposed to work, how science works in the real world. So that's their immediate demand to stop questioning best practice medical care and stop questioning um, science that's settled. <clears throat> so to amplify their message to the New York Times, uh, Glad rented a digital LED billboard truck, uh, parked it in front of the New York Times and drove it around Manhattan. So we can come back to some of those details. I think they're worth fleshing out some more, but just to give everyone uh, the sort of picture of what happened last week. Having seen that, which uh, I was not aware of until the next day, which was February 16th, and having been aware of how underreported the prison issue is in terms of multiple states, multiple jurisdictions, continuing to produce policies, try to implement, pass and implement laws, to accelerate the housing of trans-identifying men in women's prisons, and that that is an issue that mainstream media is simply not covering, uh, even though there have been some really extraordinary events that have come to light just in the last year. There was a lawsuit filed in California following implementation of the law there, and as part of that lawsuit, it's come out that there have been allegations of pregnancies, of sexual assaults, and closer to home uh, of the New York Times, uh, that there was um, a man sentenced to rape just last year in 2022. He had been housed in the women's unit in Rikers, and he had raped a female inmate there and was sentenced uh, in the spring last year. Also close to home for the New York Times, um, were reports of multiple pregnancies in the New Jersey prison after they moved a few dozen men into the sole women's prison in New Jersey following a change in policy there. That policy change was the result of a lawsuit from the ACLU. So despite, despite those very concrete incidents, which is not you know a mystery there's a there's a court case you can look up the record there's a bronx da uh press release on uh the rape issue the new jersey correctional department issued a public statement about the the rapes there these aren't speculative these are actual reportable instances um and incidents which have simply not been reported on by mainstream media even closer to home in new york the new york state legislature has proposed what would be the country's most extreme mixed-sexed housing bill. Um, this is a revision of an earlier bill that was uh, proposed last session, um, in last sessions, uh, the last legislative session in New York. And in January of this year, 2023, both the New York Assembly and the New York Senate revived that bill making it, though, even more extreme, even in light of this, uh, these very public incidents that weren't available 
as sort of background knowledge the last time they proposed this bill. Now they are. Some of these are happening in their own backyard. And even with that, New York media, including the New York Times, is not covering this New York state legislation that's pending. So those two stories were sort of reverberating uh, in in my mind on uh, the 16th when I heard about it and thought, well, I guess we're doing a truck. So Keep Prison Single Sex uh, did our own LED truck and uh, included as text on ours were some just very broad facts about what's happening around the country, that there is in fact a pending bill in the New York State Legislature. And we posed the question, I suppose to New York Times, since we were parked right outside their front door, but really to all media, that this issue is newsworthy, is it not? Please start covering this. These women are really some of the canaries in the in the coal mine on this, and it's inexcusable now that there is, not that we all don't know what's going to happen, but now that there are concrete incidents that can be pointed to, it's inexcusable that the media continues to refuse to cover this. So that was how the truck came about. Oh my gosh. So I first saw it on uh, Twitter. Kay Yang had shared it on her Twitter. And I, when I saw, when I read the line, is this, this is newsworthy, is it? No, I got chills. I mean, it's just, wow. I mean, it is so chilling to be, to finally like be, you know, again, it's, it's not literal face to face, but just the, the power of that across from the headquarters was, yeah, it, I really had like a, a pretty strong like body response to that. And I think there's a feeling of kind of overwhelm that I've been feeling the past few months as it appears that we might be at some tipping point. It is so overwhelming to imagine that the gaslighting might end, you know, like, and it's not predominantly like joy. Like it's like, I I feel it as overwhelm. Like, could there be a time where the New York times like admits their wrongs? Is there a time where, you know, or on a more personal level, someone says to you, oh my gosh, I can't believe I never thought about that or didn't want to see that or thought that men in women's prisons could be like uh, uh, positive in any way, shape or form for women. So yeah, when I when I saw the billboard, I was like, we have to talk as soon as possible. It is so impactful, so powerful. And I am just, yeah, overwhelmed with gratitude and uh, of just the point that it seems that we are approaching with perhaps, you know, as you mentioned, kind of seeing some cracks or maybe some loopholes in the coverage, which is why they're getting such, you know, strong backlash. Um, I love how you um, framed the letters as a a Maoist re-education camp, essentially proposal, like, we'll forgive you if you go through our special program and the timelines, which is such like alarm bells for like abuse abuser i mean could it be any louder of like if you don't do what we say and think the way we think like 
admit that you're wrong. And if you do, then we'll give you the opportunity to be better. You know, it's like the, 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 the woke calling in. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that absolutely was what it looked like. Yeah. No, there's a, we're going to give you a bridge back to our good graces. (laughs) Take it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, um, the, it is huge and it is understandable that the main, that the, where the cracks seem to be starting to appear is in the child medicalization issue, which is so important and is so urgent to your, your sort of posing this idea about people acknowledging it and recognizing what happened and even apologizing for it. This is such a tricky thing because I don't know, I don't know how one could be in some of these positions of uh, being a physician, of being a therapist, of being in some of these roles. It almost seems too much that it's hard to see that they'll be able to do that. It just, it seems the damage was so much, the gaslighting was so massive and widespread and that even you know less than a week ago there's um stop questioning science stop it stop questioning the science i it i too i wouldn't say i'm i'm hopeful but we're all we all are kind of seeing these little gaps and and cracks but i'm also really concerned about it got so far, it's gotten so extreme, it hasn't stopped yet, that I'm not sure what the path to walk back is for some people. And the significance of the medical, I thought for years that the sort of saviors in this would be the courts, that the courts would sort of step in, especially on the prison system, because there's a lot of cases on like what's cruel and unusual what's a negligence standard like what are what are correctional systems legal obligations and duties of care you know there's a there's a lot of case law to sort of lean on on that but then as i've been seeing as more and more cases come in and as more of these decisions are being made by judges i mean the the men who are in women's prison in illinois that's almost entirely because of a district court um, put those men there. And what I've been seeing over the last couple of years is that the courts are absolutely relying on the medical experts, quote unquote experts. And I, I sort of started to realize over the last year, it's a little bit until the medical healthcare system is no longer captured this is really hard to do in the courts Mm. because they they're just sort of throwing up their hands like we're not medical experts okay we'll call in competing experts but like one side (laughs) has so many and has the organizations that have sort of the legacy fancy letters you know the american association of pediatrics WPATH, who's been doing this for years and years and years, that it's a little 
I don't want to say it's understandable because I don't want to excuse the judicial system kind of abdicating what their role is, but if they are sitting there and sort of weighing medical experts, putting aside all common sense, you can understand why some of them might be deciding the way that they are, um, as frustrating as that is. So I, I'm relieved that in some sense, the issue that's getting a lot of press is the medical issue, because I think that's probably what needs to be corrected first before everything else goes. Mm. Yeah, there, you know, I'm thinking of this, this quote from a man named Sayer G who runs a platform called Green Med Info. I mean, he was listed as one of the most like top COVID misinformation uh, guys. He's actually someone who I personally have a lot of respect for, for all that he does. But he has this quote that that is, it's, it's something like, um, the medical system is an embedded political system, mm -hmm. right? Like the medical industry is a political system. Like they're actually not as distinct and compartmentalized mm -hmm. as maybe the, that we've been led to believe. That is his belief. I, I, I happen to share that belief. So um, the fact that we're in this culture of always deferring out like to the experts or to the other, to the authority, it would make sense yeah. that the legal system would go, oh, we don't get it. Ask them. And then maybe a doctor would say, oh, we don't know. Ask them, you know, and um, that everyone is just kind of trying to pass it along to one another rather than create, you know, a sustainable solution or a way out of this. But as you yeah. mentioned, like, it's just so monumental. And, you know, you spoke to the the consequences psychologically for any doctor or clinician who's been involved in this medical scandal. And I mean, I can I can draw parallels to other medical scandals. And, you know, those the doctors who do, you know, usually come out are ostracized whistleblowers I and mean, we saw that was with the therapists who have spoken out you know against against what's going on and yeah it's a particularly i imagine a dark experience to yeah come to terms with the the harm that you've done after supposedly you know taking an oath to first do no harm um but i think you know this medical scandal has illuminated a kind of an illusion around the expert you know in, in a lot of ways and made people very distrustful i think uh, for the better in, in my opinion but but that's really interesting to hear your yeah perspective that 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 first or just to, that you've named that the medicalization of the kids like will be the tipping point it sounds like or is it's it's appearing that way uh, for people to finally come to terms with what's going on. I mean, I think for like a while, we thought maybe sports would do it, right? There was like yeah. a, a phase where we were like, oh, people will get it with the sports. <laughs> right, and like everyone's dad's going to get it. Like all the dads will get it. Yes. In the heart, right? And, right? Yeah. and then and then if they get it, we'll really be okay. No, like this is right. not, yeah, how it played mm -hmm. out. Um, and I think maybe the success of Gays Against Groomers in some ways, like I have a lot of problems with, with them um but they've gotten a lot of publicity you know and they're like only talking about kids but right. yeah and and just to tie it into just to make it really explicit for the audience in terms of how 
it's tied into the prison issue, which is the cases that are brought um, by men seeking to be moved to the women's prison, that is usually part of a package of what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And the bulk of what they're looking for is having access to certain accoutrements. Um, you know, they would like bras. Um, they would like sparkly earrings, uh, but also they would like breasts. They would like genital surgery. And so it's in that latter cluster of what they're seeking that the medical experts start getting involved in the prison cases. And because they end up as sort of a package of what this person is looking for to, you know, actualize themselves, um, that the either the culmination of that medical process, if we want to call it that, um, or as just as part of that, ends up being moving these men into um, the women's prison. And it often becomes sort of a self-fulfilling um, process. There, there's a declaration by one, by one male inmate who had... Um, First, he had requested fake breasts, and then he requested, um, but and I mean, like, you know, padding. Um, and then he'd um, gotten estrogen, and the estrogen puffed up his breast tissue enough that he said, well, now, now I'm being harassed by the other men, so now you have to move me. Now you have to move me. Now I'm not safe in here because they, they won't stop pestering me. So you see how this sort of becomes in their minds and in the correctional systems minds and in the courts minds, it, the whole thing becomes sort of part of a process and ends up becoming a self fulfilling, um, like roller coaster. Like you gave me this one thing. Now I need this other thing. Oh, and you gave me this. Now I can't stay here. Now you have to move me. Well, I guess like you're close enough to a woman. You got boobs. Okay. Close enough. So that's the way in which the medical testimony ends up coming into some of the prison cases. And it also has come in in this way, which is pretty, it's, this is a real quirk of the law, but it's kind of interesting because I know there's, there's a lot of discussion and there's some disagreement about people who do what we do, who are interested in this topic um, in terms of the term gender dysphoria this, uh, this sort of notion of a medical term and yet doesn't have to be treated medically or it does, or it's not, it's not a um, psychological condition, but you need to medicalize treatment for it. The interesting thing about the replacement of gender identity disorder with the term gender dysphoria is this, which is the Americans with Disability Act, which covers employment issues, but also covers accommodation kind of issues and covers prisons. It explicitly excluded from its coverage gender identity dysphoria, gender identity disorder. It explicitly said, we don't mean that. We don't mean that. We're not, quote unquote, protecting that. And just in the last year, a court was grappling with this idea about gender identity disorder is excluded from being protected under the coverage that's being sought in this lawsuit 
But gender dysphoria isn't mentioned because that wasn't a phrase then, it wasn't a term. And the court actually leaned on that and said, well, gender identity disorder doesn't really exist anymore. And what's happening in this case is gender dysphoria. So yes, this person is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Voila, in, in their renaming this, I'm using air quotes condition, I, you know, I don't know what other phrase to use. In the renaming of this, they changed an exception in the law to make that exception no longer exist because we're playing word games now. So now if you use some other phrase that didn't exist decades ago when that law came into effect, you can skirt around this exclusion. And this impacts assistance, access to medical treatments, right? This is yes. the this is the the consequence of that. Yes, in the prison context, yes. Exactly. It, it reminds me of something that I talked about with, um, or that Dr. Suzanne Forbes Fairling uh, brought up when we spoke, which is like, like uh, non psychopathic, sociopathic people don't think about things in scale and exploitative Ooh. terms, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when something is changed in the law or like culturally, you know, most women that I know will go, oh, well, I know this one person who's nice or wouldn't take advantage of what you're describing or, you know, and they're not thinking about like the scale or us as a class, as a group, you know, what does this do when it's implemented in a prison? Like what would legalizing uh, prostitution as work do when you have laborers in a prison like you know like how would that change things you know or or surrogacy you know um so you're pointing to like a uh a, a kind of a loophole or this semantic change that has tremendous impact um right you would just i mean upon hearing that initially one would just think well you know things evolve innocent enough, like it's another way of thinking about it. But laws are built on, on existing language and on existing concepts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what, what, you, what you just said, it, it's so pertinent and it's just, it's such a boring thing to have to respond to all the time. Literally just, um, I, it was yesterday or the day before, Someone was yakking at me on Twitter saying, well, I have this experience and everyone I've met has been lovely and nice. And I was just like, well, laws aren't made because you had a great, lucky personal experience. Like, I'm happy for you. <laughs> How nice. How nice that that's you. <laughs> but we don't make laws on the circumstances of lucky people. Right. That's not the world we're in. And to, to, I just don't want to forget to mention this, and it's sort of a good point to do it about sort of the myopic um, nature of, of some of this and of looking at, looking at it in terms of broader 
class kinds of issues. I do want to highlight some of the signatories to the New York Times letter, which included, to no one's surprise, the Women's March signed it. Ms. Magazine signed it. Feminist Majority signed it. And the National Women's Law Center signed it. You know, these organizations that there's not a single legacy women's group that hasn't been entirely caught up and hasn't completely lost the plot. And not one. There's literally not one. It's amazing. I mean, but we've most of your listeners probably have seen what has come out um, from the National um, Organization for for Women that there's a board member based in South Carolina. Um, who is a trans-identifying man, which we've known about him for a few months, but Redux just did a story really digging into um, some more details, grotesque details about him. And we are having to rebuild all of this um, from scratch with no institutional legacy support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just saw a clip of was it I think it was Chase Strangio on he's the uh, uh, sorry did you hear me say he I mean there we go like she who's now part of the ACLU or uh, I don't know what her official title is but yeah she's um, gosh the female like gender non-conforming like uh, the journalist or whoever's interviewing her is like what can we do like there's almost like a level of like male ordination going on. Like these are two women mm-hmm. having a conversation and you have this like eager reporter. This is my read of it. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, Chase, what can we do? Like, what can we do? Like everyone's listening. Like, tell us, how do we be better? Like, how do we be better? Right. And Chase's response is like, listen to trans people. Listen to trans people. Like, which bothers me so much on so many levels, but like, be more specific. Do you want to hear from trans identified women? Do you want to hear from trans identified mm. men? Do you think children should be speaking? Do you want to platform more seven year olds who think they're stuck right. in the wrong way? Like, what be specific? Like, but just this blanket respect trans people, honor trans people, love trans people, listen to trans people. End of story. Like, it's that. Like it's it's a directive, just like you you know you described it in the letter. It's the same. Do this, or um, you have blood on your hands. Do this, or people will die. Do this, or you are a bigot. Say this, or you're going to lose your job. You know, with the same uh, threats. It's also really childish identity politics in the sense that you just listed off a number of sort of groups that could fall under a quote unquote trans umbrella. But even within those groups, people are in a monolith. Like there's going to be groups within those groups who don't agree. Like, what are you even saying? I mean, it's, it's absolutely meaningless because it doesn't say anything about whether there's a consensus about, puberty blockers for nine-year-olds. I mean, there's plenty of people who identify as trans who think that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. So I, it's it's just such a nonsense kind of 
statement, and we all know what they mean. They mean listen to the activists who are like pedal to the metal, everything say go. Um, And to their enormous credit, the New York Times' response was basically like, we're journalists, we're not activists, which, you know, go New York Times. Mm -hmm. Glad to have you back. (laughs) Let's see more of that. So just the opening up of the conversation, it feels like such the bare minimum kind of first step that everyone who's interested in this issue, whether it's sort of in its entirety or has, you know, kind of specific angles, whether it's sports or prisons or, um, or whatever it might be. It does. I, I don't want to be so hopeful because I don't want my heart broken, but I, it does feel like uh, there may be, there may be some, if just a few big, well-placed organizations break it open at least the conversation will start whether i still don't think that's the end i mean i don't think we're at the beginning of the end um even but at least it'll feel like there's a chance before um it just kind of snowballs to a point of absolute no return so that did feel heartening one reason why I didn't, with the with the billboard truck, sort of respond explicitly directly to the Glad truck and the Glad message is obviously one has to be pleased that the New York Times is is covering it. You know, I don't sort of want to flog them when they're when they're getting hit, but also like not to not to let them kind of lean on just this, like. You're just starting to make amends for these years and years and years of either silence or demonization of people who have been screaming into the ether about what's happening. So keep going. Like you're just starting. Keep going. A very generous response from you, Amanda. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I admire your generosity towards the New York Times and their. Interest. I would like them to. I would like them to finally publish one of my yeah. opinion essays I've been submitting. So I'm only going to be so mean. <laughs> I I look forward to the day. I really really do. I, I'm curious. Before we you know we 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 close, have you gotten any kind of silent uh, anonymous supporters from the inside, uh, reaching out to you from the New York times. Can you, can you say, (laughs) um, I would say if I did, but I didn't, I will say this because people have been asking, have been asking sort of like what happened on, on the day. I did place a call to the newsroom while I was there and let them know I was there, come out and talk if you want. Nobody came out to talk, but there were a number of people who exited the building and took pictures and took pictures of sort of each slide as it came Mm. up. And the billboard has um, Keep Prison Single Sex's website on it. So I am I am hopeful that obviously it would have been very nice to um, have had uh, the opportunity to be interviewed on the day. But I remain hopeful that either they'll reach out at some other point or they'll go to the website 
They'll be able to see some of the history of what this issue is. They'll be able to see what's happening in their backyard in New York and New Jersey, that they'll be able to amplify what's happening in the New York uh, legislature because nobody knows. Uh, of all of the, the state legislatures, New York is among the most opaque to begin with. Um, and if there's absolute media silence on an issue, it is very hard to get out there the particulars of this bill um, and to encourage people to contact their reps or theoretically the New York uh, legislature's websites are open to anyone. You don't have to be a New York resident to comment on particular legislation. They have only put up, last time I checked, three, three comments that people made. One of them was from me. Um, and it has only been from people who have called to complain, hey, I keep putting my comment there and it's not showing up. Wow. So they, they're making it hard to even sort of do a public display of opposition to the bill to encourage more people um, to do it, your name does come up on on that website. So people who are anonymous in their personal life wouldn't necessarily do that. Um, because of that, I did start a change.org petition that I'm hoping um, people will go to and not just sign, but also leave comments. And at critical points, as this legislation moves along in committee um, and maybe in each house and if it gets to the floor, which I hope it does not, to at sort of an inflection point, share um, the comments on that since they're making it very difficult for the public to make comments on it. So I, it's on my Twitter account um, and the Twitter account, if you just search for Keep President Single Sex USA, it'll come up. So really the, the hope is that they just start covering it and bring it to people's attention because it's one of these issues that's very hidden as um, prison correctional criminal justice issues often are. And it doesn't take much to pique people on this issue. Mm -hmm. And the um, Keep Prison Single Sex, both the UK version and the USA version have uh, a page that has sort of a, you know, a book of horribles of um, pictures of, of men who have managed to find their way into women's prison and if if one has an illusion about sort of quote unquote what sort of men these are you know these are not delicate flowers who are in for monetary crimes say which wouldn't be any better we don't want those men in women's prison either but these are murderers and sexual offenders and and rapists and the vast 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 majority aren't on hormones, haven't had general surgery. So whatever image people might think of uh, the men that they're trying to protect by moving them out of the men's prison to the women's prison, um, this is not what you're thinking of. Um, so, uh, so hopefully the New York Times will look at that as well other media organizations. Thank you for bringing that that up. Yeah, there's it's not a Laverne Cox um, trying to just do your hair in the women's. Who is uh, massive, by the way? Absolutely right. massive. <laughs> My, I, 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 it's mean, but I'm absolutely tickled by the pictures of him with uh, with Elliot standing insane. next to each other. It just feels like 
can we just call this exhibit A through Z and be done with this first? It's just a joke. It's a big, it's a, it's a really terrible, terrible joke. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for everything that you do for women and for bringing this issue to light and for the incredible campaign that you, you put together. I will share links to everything that you mentioned, ways to get involved, the change.org, New York Times response, all of it, your Twitter. I'll link all of that in the show notes for, for people to, um, follow up, learn more and yeah, just stay involved. So thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or family member who needs to hear this content. And if you do share it on social media, don't forget to follow and tag me at whose body is it. So until next time, 